Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So the game is set in a post-apocalyptic world, um, but it's a post-apocalyptic world that hasn't been done before. It's a world after these schlocky sci-fi films like them and giant spider films have ended and spiders have taken over the world and they've covered the entire world in this web and eaten all the humans as, as flies and the players play the few surviving humans hiding amongst the broken houses that are too small for the spiders to squeeze in and sneaking around from place to place uh, trying to survive in this world and interacting with the different factions that might still live there or um, trying to sneak past a giant spider sitting on top of a car. and Not too long ago, I got a zine in the mail that I had backed on Kickstarter. And after I read WebWorld, I knew I needed to do a review of it immediately for YouTube and Twitch. I sit down with its creator, Willow J, and explore the origin of a game I found fresh with an interesting mechanical twist. We talk about his process and go over the game he currently has on Kickstarter, Liminal Space. Stick around to the end when he explains to me why he loves that new video game, Elder Scrolls. This episode is made possible because of the support of the patrons of Third Floor Wars, so a big thanks to all of you and some of our newest patrons like Fabian Picard, Sam Ayas, Peter Thomas, William Payne, Isaac Turton, and Adas. Okay, sit back, relax, and enjoy my time with Willow. Do you love to unplug and play games around the table? Greetings, friends and floorheads to Tabletop Talk from Third Floor Wars. If you love tabletop gaming, you are in the right place. Listen as Craig delivers in-depth discussions and interviews with game designers, creators, insiders, and experts. Learn from the people making and playing the role-playing, miniature, and board games you love. My guest is Willow J, creator of tabletop role-playing games like WebWorld and Liminal. He is an independent TTRPG writer and designer. He has come out swinging with two successful Kickstarters under his belt and several more projects to follow. Willow, welcome to the third floor. Hi, it's good to be here. So before we dive into the games you make and how you make them, we've got to get your origin story. So there there was a day, Willow, where you knew nothing about role-playing games. You didn't know you could grab a sheet of paper, throw some stats down, roll some dice, and pretend to be somebody else. And then it was presented to you for the first time. Can we go back to that moment? Yeah, so I think it's actually annoyingly started with the 90s film uh, Dungeons & Dragons. Get out of here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's amazing. That's a first. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I, I saw that film and it was terrible. <laughs> and and, uh, and, and I, 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 I'm really into film and I, I went to university for film. And um, so I'd always look up everything behind the background of a film and I, I realized, oh, it's based on a game. Um, so I went and looked up this this game and um, 
I was at the uh, uh, the UK version of high school at the time, uh-huh. and I realised actually there's a club here that plays this game. So I I joined up as a as a player, and that's how I got my start. I mean that, <laughs> that film. Okay, so I want all the listeners to understand something: that if it was not for the Jeremy Irons Dungeons and Dragons movie, we would have no Web World. So I don't want to hear any more people complaining about that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so you, you find out about it. You find out there's a local club uh, at school. Um, the first time you sit down, how was it presented to you, and how did you how did you consume it or digest it all? The, the people there were really helpful. They they kind of, they, they more ran through the character creation process for me than me running through it myself um, and generated a character and gave me a bunch of um, illegally downloaded copies of cheats. And, um, and, and, and this was, uh, this was third edition, which is not too long ago, but it's, you know, um, and, uh, yeah, they, they, they presented like a map and all these minis and, and I think I'd sort of been aware of um, Warhammer at the time. Right. So I was, I was like, oh, this is really cool. It's like Warhammer, but you can do anything you want. Um, and I obviously played an edgelord character because we all do as our first one. <laughs> Whose parents died. <laughs> yeah, whose parents died. I think my parents killed their parents. <laughs> And so I've got a little bit better. A little bit better. So so for you it sounds like, you know, your 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 touchstone to kind of get into it is the understanding of miniature games like Warhammer and stuff like that and then realizing it's just a bigger version of that. So you you start playing D&D. Um what was your first non-Dungeons and Dragons game and how did that get in front of you? Oddly um Morkborg. <laughs> okay, really? There was a period where I just all I knew was D&D. Right. For a very long I had no idea about I think I, I vaguely kind of was aware of Pathfinder and Cyberpunk uh, and, I, and I'd kind of like see them around but go oh that's that's way too complicated I'll stick with the really simple one D&D right is obviously completely opposite um, and then Morkball came out and I'm really into horror and and um, I just saw the graphic design and, and, and really sort of horrible colors are my thing so I, I saw the graphic design for Mortborg and I was like, okay, I need to I need to see this. So I bought it and um and it made me realise that actually it's so much more simple and there are so many more simple games out there than D and D. So I just started absorbing all these games. I think I played like um I, I just went for a period where every week I'd run a new game because I was I was DMing for D and D. So I was just like absorbing all of them and throwing them at my horror uh, like at my um my poor play group who had to new, learn new rules every week. Um, I think we played Babes in the Wood nice. at one point. Um, God, what else did we play? Um, the, uh, the, the 2000 AD Judge Dread tabletop. Wow, very the, nice. Um, the, the, obviously Cyberpunk. Just, yeah. So I'd be curious as you as you're going through this uh, uh, game of the week process, um, is there any game that either for you or you and your table that kind of blew everybody's mind where, you know, it, it you know, coming from D&D and, you know, you're going through and you're playing this game, then that game, then this game, then that game. Can you think of a game that like when it was over, everybody at the table is like, oh, holy shit. Yes. So Monster of the Week, we ran for about six weeks. 
because it was so simple and there was barely any um, combat involved. It was so role play orientated that we just loved yeah. it. And um, and I ended up writing like a whole story around it, and and that one just kept going for quite a while. Yeah, it's fu- it's funny. Sansa's Sansa's take on uh, Apocalypse World was one of the first ones, right? You know, very early in- incarnation of it, and uh, yeah, his is very interesting. So. I've run a ton of games, right? And people listening have run tons of games. But then there's a next filter down, which is at some point you get the dumb idea that you want to make games. Um, and just it's not it's it's the thing. Life isn't hard enough. Right. <laughs> but I'd be curious, where did that come from and where did it start? Is that I mean, obviously, you're a creative person based off of, you know, what we've already talked about. But when does that bug go? Like, I, I think I want to make something. I w- when I was trying to run lots of um, lots and lots of games, um, I tried to run Gumshoe. Mm. I, I read for Gumshoe over and over again, and I just couldn't click with the mechanics. So I decided, you know what, screw it. I'll just write my own mechanics for a, a, a non-combat-based detective-style game. Um, and that's when I wrote the uh, the, the pool system that you, you talked about in Webworld. Um so I was like, okay, so you guys have this pool of D6 dice and you have to use the dice to for rolls, but also if you get hurt, I'll take one of the dice away. And if you succeed on a roll, I'll give you a dice back. Um, actually, the original version didn't have that I'll give a dice back, but then my players complained they didn't have enough dice. So I thought, okay, fine, have a dice. Um, and yeah, I ran a whole campaign with that system and realized that oh, it's just a really good system. So I kind of lodged it away in the back of my mind for future endeavors. Oh, that's cool. And, and when looking back on it, though, you know, because it's one thing, you know, to kind of, you know, piece it together, right? And you're, you you want to get this game to the table. You have a hard time uh, gronking gumshoe. And was there a moment as you were, like, playing with this system, you're running this uh, detective uh, or investigative game, where you realize, like, I'm on to something here? Like, there, there's something going on here that I need to explore some more? I, I think so. I, I mean... I've still got that campaign um, kind of laid out as as a game that could be kind of had to have the graphic design for and done, and I, and I kind of put it in that way because I thought maybe at some point in the future I'll stick it out there. Um, but at the time, I wasn't really. Uh, I, I went through so much to to try and be a filmmaker that mm. I was still plugging away at that, and there was no other kind of industry in my mind that I was going to delve into. Um, so I was still, you know writing scripts and making films and, and, and like, I didn't have time for anything else. So let's go back then. So you've got, you've got, I mean, literally the, the, the bones of what becomes web world mechanically, right? You, you've got that and you, you've played that in another scenario. Um, I'm, I, I go to the Willow museum of, of game design. Right. And I, and I go to the, the, to the section of the museum on web world. Um, what is the first exhibit that explains to me when Willow first got the idea, the concept of web world? Um, so I like to sneak into abandoned buildings and take photos. It's, it's called urbexing. Uh, I do it all the time. Where, where, around where I live, there's a lot of wide open um, green land and a lot of really old houses that have been abandoned because the bank foreclosed or because the people had to move off the land. And, and I like to sneak into them and take photos and edit up the photos and put them up on my Instagram. And um, I'm, a, I'm a really big fan of Trevor Henderson, um, creator of Siren Head. 
and the way he does his art where he kind of edits a creature into the back of these creepy photos so i thought i'll have a stab at that and um i for some reason i landed on like wide landscape shots of these abandoned houses and then like these big spider feet kind of coming down out of the sky onto the ground and i just kind of like threw web over everything and realized oh this looks really cool and i did that for about five or six photos and then didn't make an rpg out of it and kind of went okay cool they're done and and posted them somewhere and put them in a file um and then down the road uh i backed a game called they feed on fear by alexi i'm not familiar with that game it's it's a very good game it's a very good system Uh, it's 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 not got anything to do with web world in in terms of mechanics or feel it's just that that kick-started me making them uh it's about um you play as a creature akin to pennywise or um very kruger and it's you're in a group of different players and you have to terrorize a small town written by the creator nice uh, and kind of feed on the fear and the more fear you get the more xp you get the more you level up your abilities um great game uh, and so I backed that and I went into his discord and started chatting to him and the other people playing the game. And out of the blue one day, he messages me and goes, Hey, you've got some really good ideas. Do you want to make a game together? And I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, That's cool. you've got this massively successful Kickstarter and I'm just some random nobody, but okay. So we started workshopping ideas. Um, and that's how we were workshopping liminal. But over the course of that, I was like, hang on a second. I have like, all these ideas kind of I filed away. I've got these, these like spider drawings. I've got this um, pool mechanic. I've got these other things that I didn't really talk about that are just kind of all put away in folders. Um, I could just combine them all together. So I did that. And then I took what I saw from Mortball because Mortball really kind of blew my mind open in that RPGs don't need to be uniform in their presentation. The, the book itself can be like a piece of art. Yeah. Uh, and be really interesting and fun to read. It doesn't need to be massive amounts of tables and info just all put in paragraphs with nothing else to kind of read through, which I, I still like those, but it was just really interesting to me that Mortpool kind of threw that out the door. Um, so I started putting together Webworld, and one day I just went, screw it, and hit go on the campaign. And there was actually zero There was zero planning behind where I put it or, or what month of the day I put it. I just built it up and went, you know what, it's ready to go and hit go. And it funded uh, and it, it was, it was a good success. And it's funny, uh, you know, I go back and think about it. Cause that's obviously the first time I came across you is it popped up in my Kickstarter um, feed. And um, I immediately like, not my bookmark. You, I think you watch it or follow it. Right. I was like, this is interesting, but I need to kind of, um, you know, digest a little bit more. And I came back like a week later and I just started reading about it. And I realized there was things in this game that I'd never seen before, at least not this exact way. Um, so I backed it. I mean, it was, it, it didn't, it, it, it was not expensive, right. Uh, uh, yeah. for, for RPGs. <laughs> um, and, and I gotta tell you not to blow a little bit of smoke here, but, um, well, I was I was amazed. I thought it was very, very clever, um, which is, of course, why, you know, I reached out. And I wanted to talk to you. But there's some people that are watching that haven't seen my flip through uh, live stream of the game and, and, and know nothing of it. So can we give them a quick overview of the game before we dig a little bit deeper? Sure. Um, so the game is set in a post-apocalyptic world, um, but it's a post-apocalyptic world that hasn't been done before. It's a world after these schlocky sci-fi films like 
them and giant spider films have ended and spiders have taken over the world and they've covered the entire world in this web and eaten all the humans as as flies and the players play the few surviving humans hiding amongst the broken houses that are too small for the spiders to squeeze in and sneaking around from place to place uh trying to survive in this world and interacting with the different factions that might still live there or um trying to sneak past a giant spider sitting on top of a car and um the do you, do you want to talk about the mechanics or just the um the yeah let's go do an overview here? of the mechanics as i'm going to dig into them so please okay so the the like i mentioned the game uses this pool system so Every player starts out with uh, a class, and they pick, pick this class that has different skills, and the class is given a pool of D6 dice, so it's D8 dice in this game. And whenever they make uh, a check, so whenever they use one of their skills, which is locked into their class, they'll roll any amount of D8 dice from this pool, and it's completely up to the player how many they roll, um, and they have to try and beat a certain threshold, so there's sort of failure, mixed success, success, perfect success. Um, and if they succeed or if they get any form of success, they'll get one of those D8 dice back to their pool. So if they only roll one, they get that one back. If they fail, those dice are gone. They have, they have a max in their pool, but they have to record that they've now taken those dice out of their pool. And the character sheet has actually got a little space where you can stack the D8 dice on it. So they just take it off the sheet. Um, any other player can help them by putting one D8 dice towards it. But if the player helps them, they don't get a dice back. So it's, it's all about just actually making physical out-of-game bonds with the other players, so they, they'll want to help you, rather than um, them actually getting something from it. Uh, there's no combat in the game whatsoever, because all the spiders, are, they're, they're indestructible. They're an unkillable enemy, um, and they're actually more of this sort of ever-encompassing fear, this danger, rather than an actual enemy to be fought or snuck around. The, the second mechanic in this game is uh, the... Oh, sorry, so going back to the pool mechanic, um, when I playtested it, the players described it as a roguelike in tabletop RPG form because the second you level up, and leveling up is just linked to surviving an encounter, you get your pool refilled and you get an ad- addition to your, your max pool. And so you either die really quickly in the first sort of encounter or you start getting stronger and stronger and stronger until something does take you down. And it just feels like this roguelike system, almost. Like, it's it's really easy to jump in straight away and then die straight away or just keep going for a really long run. Um, so this... And just the only thing I'm going to add in there, if I could, Willow, real quick, is when, when you run out of dice, so it, it is a tangible resource and, you, and you're exhausted, right? So it's not necessarily you died, but you're, you're taken out of the game. Um, and if everybody gets to no dice, then that's it. We're done. TPK, it's over. But I, I thought it was really, really interesting, Willow, to have um, this push and pull resource mechanic and for the people that were play testing and players that have played it since um what do you see happening so what do you see players doing in the game um as far as how they manage that and making the decisions like yeah i'm gonna throw three dice at this yeah so um obviously when you run out of dice you you are exhausted you get knocked out um i see a lot of people in the play test uh and and past the campaign um They'll look at something like a, a simple, a simple uh, like climb up to a window because there's a fallen skyscraper and they want to climb through the skyscraper. And there's a climb up to the window and they have to roll some sort of 
strength check to pull themselves up. Um, but they've only got two dice left in their pool. And they go, well, I could try and climb up this, but I'm too exhausted. My character's too exhausted. I have two little dice to try and attempt this. So instead, I'm going to try and circumnavigate this this skyscraper, which it opens up more role-playing for the, the GM or the, the world weaver to the players. And it expands this world rather than them just overcoming the obstacle or throwing themselves at the obstacle till they overcome it. That's neat. And um, the next piece, and I think this is where you're heading to, is how how the threat works. Um, so to, to reinforce what you said, we, we've got these spiders. There's no fighting them. This is not Monster of the Week. This is not Dungeons and Dragons, right? We've got a threat out there that kills you. <laughs> That's it. There's nothing you can do about it. But how it's handled, I thought, was very, very interesting, Willow. So can we talk about the mechanics of the spiders in the web world? Yes. So um, there's this mechanic added to the game called the world, uh, the webscape. Um, so the webscape is, uh, I was playing a, a board game, a card game called um, Let's Summon Demons. Um, Good name. <laughs> and it's it's this game where you have a bunch of uh, characters uh, that you kind of bring out as cards. And every turn you have to roll two dice. And if any of the numbers on that dice match character, that, that character card activates and has some sort of effect. And then multiple cards can activate around the board, including other players' cards. Like if you have a character who activates on a 12, and the other player has a card that activates on a 12, they both activate. And I thought that was a really cool mechanic because it keeps everyone doing something right. at all times and constantly looking at, at something at all times. And I thought, as a GM, sometimes people are just making checks, and I'm just reacting to them making checks, whereas like instead I could be doing something else in the meantime. So I I added this mechanic in called the webscape, where basically whenever a player enters an area, the GM decides how big the area is, looks at the graph of how big the area is, and then rolls a certain amount of D8 and then saves those numbers. And then anytime any player rolls any dice in that area, if they roll a two and the two is on the webscape, they increase the spider getting closer to the players in this graph that raises up and up and up like a, like a ticking clock. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's meant to represent the players kind of nudging a web that the spider happens to be monitoring at the time. And the spider going, Oh, there's something here and moving closer to where the players are. And you kind of describe it via this table that goes, Oh, the, the, the web starts to shake or the, the, you hear some sort of crashing in the distance. And, um, and that ends with the spider being on top of them and not, necessarily knowing they're there at that point because everyone's meant to be wearing this kind of white clothing to kind of blend in with the web but every time they roll a dice up up like past that point they'll nudge a web and the spider will attack them and bite them or stab them with a leg and every time they take damage they remove a dice from their dice ball so they actually get weaker physically as they get attacked so they can't do things that they thought they'd be able to do if they were attacked um and I've actually got this this spider table at the end of the game that adds all these different spiders in. They've yeah. all got different mechanics that interact with the players in certain ways. Um, I think my favorite is the, the Black Widow that sort of the first time it attacks you, you're not poisoned and it, it nullifies you doing strength rolls to a certain extent. Yeah. Uh, oh, and, and sorry, also the, the death mechanic I was quite proud of. Yes. So when you, when you die or when you, you run out of dice in your dice pool, if you're in an encounter with a spider at that point, um, the spider then 
retreats instantly. It takes its prey and it takes the player that just died back to its spider's nest. And that then becomes a mini quest for the players to go and rescue that player or cut their losses and the player make roles in your character. And if they do, that player character now becomes this kind of spider zombie host thing that is in the book, which has a similar paper. And the hosts are very interesting, too, but they're very zombie like, right? They're they're kind of like a spider themed zombie feel, which um, adds another layer to it. And then you make a very good uh, um, note in the game to talk about, you know, a classic trope of of zombie films, which is the real monster is the other people. Right. And you talk about how, you know, that is, is a tool for the GM and, and can be played up. So I've got a huge question for you. And I have been so I haven't played Web World yet. Um, I'm going to be busting it out um, here soon for my locals. And there's part of me that wants to roll these dice in the open. And I want all my players to know that two, four and six are bad news. Right. Another part of me wants to hide it and make it completely narrative. I would imagine a playtest both were done. Um, what do you think is more effective? What do you think creates a better table? In the playtest, uh, only one was done, actually. Because um, oh. I didn't I didn't actually think of a way of, of uh, I didn't think of showing the players that the, there was a number. So I, I hid them at all points. And just use like a use that as a tool as a GM to describe to players how the world is getting more dangerous. Mm-hmm. So, and, and then as players, they they catch on and go, oh, okay. So, I just nudged a, a web, and something's getting closer. Okay, it's getting closer and closer and closer. Um, and I think uh, part of the fun of that was the players kind of working out on their own what numbers might be the numbers that they're triggering because they were aware of the mechanic, but right. they weren't aware of which being rolled. Um, which it's it sort of created this kind of uh, nervousness to roll a dice because they weren't sure if they were going to get the number and they weren't sure what the number would be. Right. Uh, but uh, th- that's completely up to you as a right. GM. You you can you can keep that open if you want, and that might create more tension. It was just the way that I intended it to be was for it to be hidden. Yeah, and I, I don't know the answer to that. I won't obviously until I until I give it a rip. But I do think it's very interesting because that was my first instinct was it was because because and and maybe I missed it, but I don't know how prescriptive you are in the rules about that whether it's it's hidden or not. I can't remember whether you you state state that as a directive in the rules rule set or not. Um, and if you do, I missed it. Um, but. Uh, you know, part of me, like you said, I love that idea of you've got this another it's not like you're hiding the mechanic. Right. But there's this other level of like, what are the numbers? How many numbers are there? Right. And and I would assume your players understand that they hit a number because what you're describing. Right. So there's that there's a meta understanding of that. Um, and then there's the other part of me that's like a little bit more like John Harper, like, let's put it all out in front of you. <laughs> and, you know, two, four and eight or, you know, so it'll be interesting uh, to play it through. In the iteration process, the a game changes. And, and and in from my understanding, for a lot of creators, there's the nobody sees it part of the iteration where you're just kind of by yourself and you're working through things. And then there's the uh iteration from the table where you introduce it to some friends and you know, you work out some things. Maybe a final play test with a much broader group, which you may or may not participate in, then then the game is done. If I were to break into your house, Willow, and grab your notebook where you first started working out WebWorld and then go grab the beautiful zine that I bought and put them next to each other, what didn't change? 
so initially I did not have the players get a dice back because I was umming and ahhing on if I should do that or not. Because when they finish an encounter, they level up anyway and they get all these dice back. But I found that the players, <clears throat> a, a sometimes an encounter wouldn't warrant a level up. Uh, and, and B, the players were sometimes just throwing all their dice at something and then failing and dying. <laughs> um, so I, I added that back in yeah. to the rules um, from the original iteration with the, the kind of gumshoe cyberpunk game I run. And um, also the hosts weren't a thing. Initially, I just had insides were always safe. Uh, and, and then I decided actually... Sometimes they need a danger inside, otherwise they're just going to kind of stay inside at all times. Right. And so I added in this 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 kind of spider zombie type thing to make it worse for the players inside, uh, and and just add in this ever imposing danger. But it didn't. Other than that, it didn't change a lot from conception table. It, it kind of just stuck with its guns and worked. I guess that's good. That's good. Well, and it's. And this is not this is a good thing, not a bad thing. It's not a, a complicated game, right? It, I mean, we we covered the mechanics of it uh, very very quickly, um, and and that's a good thing, not a bad thing. It allows you to focus on the play itself, um, and and I I really like how uh, much freedom I think the table has, and I would imagine the two tables playing Web World are, could be playing two very different games, even though at the at the core, you know, they're the, they're the same. As you're working through it, though, Willow, at, at what point? Do you put the pencil down and go, it's ready? And and how did you know that? Or did it, did it just gradually creep up on you? Um, I knew that after playtesting. Um, so I did playtesting with two different groups. The first group had some interesting points to change. And then the second group, uh, they were they were really in, thoroughly enjoying it. And they just had a few little things to change. And I changed those few little things and just kind of went, right, that's it. Mm-hmm. Done. I think, yeah, from... from from then on, I just kind of focus on the design work. I actually, I, I have a terrible habit of designing the whole book and then play testing because I like designing so much. Right. And, and when I play test, I want to be able to show the players like, hey, look, here's the rules. And it looks really nice on this page, not here's the rules. And it's kind of... <laughs> Don't change them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that does kind of be a problem sometimes. <laughs> That's <where> funny. <laughs> I understand the the excitement of doing that, though. That's good. So, guys, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back from this break, we're going to talk about his next game, which is his first game, and that is uh, Liminal. We'll be right back. This is Sean. You may have heard of me from such movies as Brett and Sean Go to Illinois, Two Motorcycles, One Stick of Dynamite, And gaming and BS, what kind of RPG podcast is that? After my NFTs were stolen, I decided to become a patron of Third Floor Wars. The content is great, and it costs me less than a good shot of liquor. So consider becoming a patron. It may just land you your next big role. Head over to patreon.com forward slash third floor wars. Tell Craig Sean sent you. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. 
so you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Like I said, I you know, I found, I found you through Kickstarter, right? Uh, I get the game. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've, I, I, I buy a lot of zines. <laughs> I just love reading, you know, love reading role playing games. And and yours clicked with me enough that I, you know, did the live stream uh, flip through for it. And then you and I got talking. Um, but it's interesting to me that then you see you're like, hey, Craig, I've got another game coming out that, that comes out. And I'm like, son of a bitch, I'm going to back this one, too, because this is really interesting and has ideas that I haven't really seen. Um so before we dive into liminal, um, let's again give a quick overview, and then we're going to kind of dig into it. Okay, so uh, liminal um, is well, it, it's liminal space. It's liminal underscore, and then the 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 space the underscore is the space. Um, so oh, so you, space, you call it liminal space? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's yeah, cool. Okay, sorry. There's an RPG called liminal. Yep, I've interviewed um, them. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so liminal space is uh, it's this map making game um, and there's there's kind of there's no classes for it or uh, combat again um, you you kind of really play yourself uh, and you're thrown into this ever changing liminal space of of rooms with that are just small sort of vignettes of horror iconography and um, unsettling imagery uh, as you and the other players with you explore kind of moving from door to door. And it's all completely randomized. So we've got hundreds of these rooms that we've all handwritten um, that you roll on this. This uh, you, you kind of pick from several tables, and then you roll D one hundred on these tables, and and then whenever you walk into a room, you roll on the the door dice, and you kind of add a door to all the walls that get a door dice on them, and um, and then you're just exploring and exploring. And I, I, we didn't have any instance where there was a dead end, and that was it. But we did put in a rule just in case, like if, if you have no more rooms to explore, that's it. You're done. You lose. And as you explore, you're trying to find an exit. And we've we've sort of hardwired exit mechanics into certain rooms within these massive tables. But you'd have to come across those rooms. And, um, and sometimes they even kind of require a puzzle or a previous room to have been rolled. So you, then there's a door with a key. But the key's not in that room. It's in another room. And then on top of that, we've got these entity tables where, again, we've got hundreds of these different entities which appear if a player act, interacts with anything in the room and this this creepy creature kind of drops down from the ceiling or rises up from the floor and then the players have to run out of the room. And it's up to the player to determine where everything is. And they're meant to have a massive piece of graph paper. This is very much a physical game, but you could you could do this with um, kind of uh, Roll20. Is that the name of the website? Yeah, well, I'm sure you could do it with a VTT. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, it, I mean, physically, it feels great when you have this massive piece of graph paper and the players physically have to scribble their notes into these little boxes and kind of draw in these rooms as they kind of explore. On top of that, we've got this, uh, this mechanic, um, the fatigue mechanic, where a player can get to 100 fatigue and they'll die. But... I think it's 100 fatigue. I, I need to look back at the rules. Um, but you, you roll this this D... I think it is. Yeah, it is. You roll this D100 dice, and if you get above your fatigue, 
you succeed in a fatigue check. And the fatigue check encompasses everything in the game. It's this incredibly simple, right, make a fatigue check, make a fatigue check. And moving from room to room increases your fatigue because you're, you're physically getting tired as you explore this space. And, and carrying an item increases the amount of fatigue you gain when you move from room to room. And if you roll above your fatigue, you fail the fatigue check. It just means that the more tired you are, the the more likely you are to fail a check because you're you're getting physically tired. You can't do these these things that you're trying to do. Um, and for instance, the entities that appear, whenever they appear, they have a fatigue damage like linked to them as a as an entity. And you always make the same fatigue check to escape them to get to the next room. But if you fail, they'll do something specific. So it might be roll a d eight, gain that much fatigue. It might be gain 30 fatigue because this is a really bad entity it's just um it's uh it, it's it's this uh, it's just a really fun mechanic i mean watching players roll a d100 especially if you have a d100 and then and and then uh yeah anyway <laughs> <laughs> well so there's a couple things one um and and i have not looked at the rules yet um i've only my the only thing i know about the game so far is is you know what's on what's on the page and then what um you just talked about um so it sounds like there's there's that same survival theme um that we see in web world right and you know you you're 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 not trying to you're not trying to save the village here you're just trying to stay not dead (laughs) you're trying to stay alive um and it sounds like it also has a bit of that grind feel to it um in a good way not a bad way right that 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 you're just getting worn down um and and that exhaustion as well but the other thing that i think and like I've, I've seen that elsewhere, right? That that concept is not new. Um, and honestly, I mean, I see and feel that in web world a little bit, but I thought it was interesting how important the mapping piece is to this and that, that you, you flat out say, this is a mapping RPG. Where does that come from? Willa? why is that? So, Cause this could be th- all theater of the mind. We could not draw on anything, right? I can say you got four doors, you go through this door. Okay, great. Let's roll on the table. Why is it so critical that it is called that and that you make that such a centerpiece? Um, I think it's because it's it's entirely up to the players to remember what is in each room. So like as a, as a GM, they have a key. They, they just write down, right, room one, which is the first room that is rolled, entity 240. <clears throat> and they know what's in that room. If if a player is exploring this space and they've gone hundreds of rooms on, they don't remember what's in room one. So it is entirely up to them to map it physically. Because if they're, if they're trying to remember it in the theater of the mind, they're like, how am I meant to remember 100 different rooms that I've walked through? And... They, they like uh, so the the players, I think, get this kind of um, this this like exciting feeling about mapping out all these different kind of squares, and and you get to see the different shapes of them as well, and they kind of they lock all in together as this facility, which changes every time, um, and and also I think it kind of harks back to uh, the the kind of the feel of the game, this like, um. I guess uh, like industrial horror kind of the like the the blueprints of of rooms and buildings and the the way we look making the look uh, the book look is this kind of uh, like company booklet with with all of this kind of redacted info and um, it's very SCP inspired obviously nice um, 
and and it it just like having something physically in front of them that they they can look at and write onto it it feels like this kind of document almost that they're making and the, the idea we have going for the game is the SCP guide is something made by a previous group exploring and they're now re-exploring and making a new guide because it's a whole new set of rooms. Interesting. And then we, we even have this little mechanic where if you want to, you can then reuse that map and they'll try to redecipher their notes as new players, or you can hand it to a whole new group and they'll try and make their way through these rooms. And you know exactly what's in those rooms because you ran the key down. Right. <clears throat> and I think that the redoing kind of aspect is, is important to the, the map making that that's interesting, Willow. Now, when we talked about Web World, um, you talked about how um, you know you bounced off of some of the f- feedback and play testing, right? And there was mechanics that you had abandoned that because of that feedback you brought back, and there's there's tweaks and changes you made um, based off of watching people play the game. What have you seen for for Liminal Space where that's the case, um, where you have come across things as it's hit the table, and you say, you know what? This made complete total sense in my head, but now that I'm seeing it played, here are some changes I'm going to make. Um, so item mechanics were a thing that we kind of discussed back and forth quite a lot, um, and they, they kind of were quite interesting when they hit the table. So What type of mechanics? Items. Oh, items. Okay, yeah, gotcha. Sorry. So the, the, just the, the physical aspect of picking up items and using items, there wasn't any kind of incentive pass uh theater of the mind use of mechanics uh, of items using them in rooms because uh, obviously there's no combat so picking up a stick doesn't have any point almost so we had to add in these mechanics after i paid because because players were kind of um they were picking up all these items but then they didn't really have a use for them <clears throat> past food which reduced fatigue um so we had to add in these mechanics of like okay so you can abate an entity uh, you can put a stick underneath a door handle and then that entity can't move through that door because it's a physical entity and but you lose the item and uh and then we had to give sort of a um bonus to doing that so we made it so that doing that reduces your fatigue mm. uh because so, you you feel physically happier that this thing isn't chasing you anymore and then that gives players an incentive to use all the, these items and that was kind of a hard one we kind of had to discuss back and forth of how are we going to do this because at first we just kind of said, okay, so uh, using an item just gives you some fatigue back. Uh, but the, then, I mean, players could just... Pick up and drop know. off, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, pick it up and throw it at the wall and then they get some fatigue back. Right, right. <clears throat> um, so what was different for you? Or what, I, I mean, while we're talking, the, the, the game isn't out yet, right? So, so I shouldn't say past tense. What is different? What is different as you worked through the process of this game from concept to iterations to even running the Kickstarter, what's different about this for you uh, versus web world? So um, this one is being printed by exalted funeral. Um, She's awesome. She's so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's really great running, uh, working with them. Um, And uh, so because it's being printed by them, Web World was a very much a me kind of uh, concept. I didn't, I didn't print it with anyone. Um, it is now being printed with Exalted Funeral, so you can get physical copies there post the Kickstarter. But I approached them while the Kickstarter was still running, <coughs> and um, 
because of that, I used a local printer and kind of I physically walked up to the printers and got all the books and came back and hand packaged all the books and sent them fun. off myself. <laughs> yeah, it was. It wasn't. <laughs> how, can I ask how many how many things you mailed? How many issues were there that you actually uh, mailed? It was like 142 copies in wow. the end. Wow. Um, and because customs has slightly changed in the UK, I I I, I did. I, I printed off all the labels for all the the um, the, the backers, and it, it, I made that document in Excel and printed it all. And then I printed off 114 copies of my return address and stuck it on the back. And I went up, and they went right. You need to take this custom sticker and put it on each individual package and hand write your address into each custom sticker. Oh my god! For the customs. So I had to sit there in the post office and handwrite my address 114 times. And the weight, that all had to go into little boxes, the weight, what was in the package, over and over again. And that was, oh, my God, my, my, my wrist by the end of that. I can't even imagine. But I was I was like, well, I'm here now. I might as well do it. <laughs> right. And once it's done, it's done, right? Yeah. <laughs> so um, – before we before we wrap up, one obviously everything we've been talking about, we're going to have links uh, as you scroll down, which everybody should be used to now. Um, but before we break, one of the things I also like to find out, Willow, um, from creators is what you love, um, at least right now. So um, talk to me about something that you have been consuming and loving. So it might be, you know, a show you've been binge watching or a movie that's really knocked you off your socks or a video game or another RPG. Is there something you can think of recently that that you have just like, I love this and I want to do more of it? Um, well, I, the same thing everyone else has been playing. I've been playing a lot of Elden Ring recently. So I, so I don't have it yet, right? And I'm not okay. a Dark Souls guy, right? So the, hmm. and um, so please help me with this. So why is everybody like all over this game? I think it's because it's so big. It's it's just so enormously big. Like I I've been playing for eighty plus hours, and I went right. I'm near the end of the game now. I'm going up to the top of the map. There's this little cave. I reckon if I go through there. I go for the little cave and I come out on another Skyrim sized map that has massive lore implications. <laughs> and I think one of the things I really love about it is that the map itself has um, points that you can teleport to these little bonfires, right? Dark Souls type fashion. Um, and that's about it. And it's all visual and you can put your own markers on it, but you can't like write what's on the markers. And there's, you don't really know what's there past this fantasy style drawing of a map. So you have to physically run around this enormous world and get a book or a tablet or something and write down what you see and remember like, okay, so there's a there's a dude over there that wants me to find his um his servant and he said his servant is in this place that I don't know where it is, but I know the name of it. So when I come across it, I'm sure I'll find the servant. And it, it you like I don't know, it, the the UI on, on other games is just you get bombarded with these like hundreds of symbols and, and question marks because you haven't been to this area and, and you go, okay, there's something there, I'll go there. There's something there, I'll go there. And then in this game, you just, you have to, it's almost like playing an old, um, like an old ZX Spectrum game where you've got this huge map, but you don't know what's in it. You've just got to wander around or, or playing Fallout even because you, right. you get randomized like original Fallout you get like randomized um, encounters as you wander around this huge map or sometimes you don't and sometimes there is a specific thing there but you don't know that right and um yeah I think that's what I love about it most and also um if you're not a dark salty person because obviously uh, precision combat and feeling like you're struggling with a game is not a thing for everyone 
but because it's so big there's a very a very clear kind of difficulty curve which the game itself has um enforced um not in a particularly great way there'll be a extremely difficult enemy right outside the starting area but also up in the top left is a really easy area that you're meant to tackle and you're meant to ignore that enemy uh, or run away from it because you, you feel like you're not meant to battle it yet um and and I know a lot of people complain about that, but I feel like Final Fantasy, the old ones, kind of did this, where you'd wander into an area and it would just be incredibly overpowered. And you're like, right, well, I'm not meant to be here yet. But uh, there's a random area over there that I haven't been to. And then, oh, this this area. And you can kind of do that. You you get stuck on an enemy, you're, you're hitting it, and you're only doing a tiny sliver of, of damage to it. And you kind of go, okay, I'll go off to the other area and explore it and find a boss that actually I'm really overpowered for now. And then I'll come back to this area after I've leveled up a bit. Well, what's interesting to me about that, because um, I prefer it that way, too, is this idea because the other approach makes the game feel like it's meeting me as I progress. Right. Whereas what you're talking about, I get the feeling the game is there and I'm I'm just I'm just part of it. Right. And I'm part of that world now. So as a creator, um, you know, obviously, when you're consuming something like Elden Ring, there, there's got to be moments where you pull back the curtain a little bit and you go, "Ooh, that was very clever. So it's not not that just you as a player consuming something. You see something, get an eye, kind of get a feeling for what was happening behind the scenes and how it got there. Is there something times that that's happened to you with this game where you've gone, ooh? Um, yeah, so the, the, the FromSoft stamp is still there. Um in areas, so there'll be tight enclosed areas, and their trick that they run 100 times and everyone falls for it is you come out of an exit, you see a very shiny, cool-looking item directly in the middle of a wide-open area, and you run straight up to the item, and four guys come out from the shadows and attack you and kill you. And they, they, they do that over and over again, and, and people fall for it. every. I fall for it every time. <laughs> and you start to see that after a while repeated, and it, you, you feel particularly quite clever when you go, well, I know that you're going to have a dude just around the corner, so I'm going to edge the camera around the corner, and oh, look, there he is, standing there, <laughs> waiting for me to run at that item. Um, and <clears throat> I don't know, that's like a, a, a mechanic that I feel in, in all from soft games, that w- once you start clicking, and even when you die, you'll get reset back, the dude will get reset back, and you go, right, I, I'm cleverer than you now, I know you're there. Right. So you can take on that environment. Yeah, I, I, and there's just things in this game that this game is not original in in by any shape or form. It's it's been done to death by hundreds of other games. It just it's just the the simple aspect of taking away all of those UI elements right. and just leaving to you to your own devices feels so fresh and original. Isn't in, that funny? In a, yeah, yeah, it's a lesson, right? That sometimes stripping stuff away makes it makes it makes it fresh and new again. That's great. Mm. Um, so, Willow, um, obviously, links I said to the games uh, as they scroll down. Um, but in general, Willow, if somebody wants to hear more about you, wants to interact with you more, where should they go? Um, so, I've got an itchio where I post. Uh, I've actually got tons of small independent RPGs that are one sheet, two sheet, three sheet. Um, and uh, they're quite fun. I highly recommend Night of the, Sla- Night of the Slasher, which is a really fun one. Um, so the itch.io is, uh, I believe it's... We'll, we'll link you know, to it, but it'll be, it'll be scrolled. Okay, yeah, it's, it's Neon Rot. Uh, I don't know if there's an underscore there, but it's called Neon Rot. Um, that's my itch.io. I just wanted to plug one more thing. Before, Please. Um, or talk about one more thing. So I'm, I'm making, obviously I've got a printing deal with um, Exalted Funeral now. 
and um, I've, I've been kind of throwing stuff their way, and they're slowly bringing them out. And there's something I just wanted to uh, talk about because I feel like it's something that you personally would be interested in. Ooh. Obviously, it's not going to be kickstarted; it's going to be um, go up on their website. Um, <clears throat> it's a it's a game called uh, Below Dwelling Sewer Mutants BDSM for short. Okay. <laughs> Nice. Uh, purely, purely coincidental. Oh, come on! <laughs> uh, and it, it's basically Chud the game. Uh, Interesting. The old, kind of the old eighties horror horror movie. And all all the players play mutants, and their lev- the leveling up system in that. So it uses this pool mechanic where when you go out into uh, the world, into this this under it's called the undermuck. This this sewer system which the the GM kind of designs, um, they roll, the second they leave a safe area, they roll a certain amount of D6 dice, and then that's their numbers that they have rolled for the remainder of them going out till they rest again. Oh, that's interesting. So they have to they have to use those numbers to go, right, there's a thing I can overcome if I get a six, so I've got a four and a two. So here we go. There's that. There's my six. I overcome it. But now my four and my two aren't in my, my system. Um, and there is combat, and the combat... You, you kind of it, an enemy is always called prey, and whenever you defeat the enemy, the player who defeated it gets to eat the enemy, and no, none of the other players do because it's a very kind of cutthroat system. Um, or they can share it with the other players, and then uh, they rip a medium enemy in half, and it becomes two small enemies, and they then roll on a mutation table akin to that. So there's a medium prey mutation table, a small prey mutation table. Interesting, and they gain a random skill rather than choosing how they level up, which is added to their mutant. And those can stack. They can gain multiple of that skill. And it, at any point, if they want, they can rip that skill out of them to add a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of D6 to their pool to, to big up their pool so they can carry on fighting because they're physically ripping a weaker part of their mutant out of them. Interesting. So they, they get weaker in their skills, but they, get, they can then go for that a little bit longer. Uh, and it's kind of this randomized creation of character. Like all the descriptions of the skills have like um, bat wings, and then you just describe how your character, your mutant, grows bat wings suddenly, and they kind of rip out of them. Um, so yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's you, something you, that's coming out. Yeah, you, you do know me, Willow, because all of that sounds really interesting to me. Um, really interesting to me. It. Um, so I've, I've got to ask this. Um, like I'm trying to imagine. So the, whenever I hear about a new game. One of the first things, and this is just me, I don't know if anybody else does this, but the first thing I try to do is try to imagine play um, and try to like in, in, in like how how the game is played. Um, so I'd be curious, how are people playing this and play testing? What are they how are they wrapping around it? How are they finding their characters? Um, what are you seeing in play tests uh, that gets you so excited about this? Um, so I'm seeing a lot of uh, cutthroat gameplay, which is kind of what I wanted, like a, a, a mutate mute world. They'll see a, a large prey and they'll go, I want to kill it first. So they'll throw all of their dice at it to try and kill it. And then and then another, they won't kill it. And then another mutant will go, well, I know you've weakened it now. So he'll only throw two dice at it and kill it. And then <clears throat> there's a mechanic where the, the mutant who didn't get the prey can go, I want to fight it off you. Oh, jeez. Challenges the other mutant to a fight, and it's this kind of it's these squabbling mutants, which you're then controlling as the GM. Right, right. Um, which creates this kind of 
this horrible world, which I really like. <laughs> right. That's the idea, right? Is, is, yeah, is something yeah. that specific. That's very, very cool. We'll link to that as well. Um, damn it. I'm going to buy it. This is going to be a third game I buy of yours. I hope you're, I hope you're proud <laughs> of yourself, Willow. <laughs> That's right. Um, I, I really appreciate it. We're recording this on a Sunday. There's a lot of other things that are far more interesting to do on a Sunday, but you spent an hour with me. Um, so I really appreciate it, Willow. It, it, was, it was a pleasure. I'm glad. And for those of you, you listened all the way to the end. I appreciate you too. Take care. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Subscribe to Tabletop Talk and share it with your friends. Check out our content on YouTube and Twitch. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and stay updated on everything coming from Third Floor. All the links are in the show notes. Take care, Floorheads. Oh, hey. Are you still here? Wow. Um, well, the episode is over, but if you're bored... Why not go to Patreon.com and support the show for as little as a dollar a month? Yeah, you can just scroll down. Scroll down and, yeah, get the link. It's Patreon that makes this and all of our other content possible. Don't you want to join the other floorheads on the Patreon Discord? Anyway, thanks for sticking around. Take care.